0: Hymn of Heaven. Wasn't that fabulous? Man, that song blessed my heart and encouraged me. But, of course, from my perspective, at my age, heaven looks sweeter every day. And the more of my loved ones who step into that spot, it looks even sweeter yet. But the Lord Jesus waits us there. I love that. John and Hannah, thank you for seeing that wonderful, wonderful hymn for us this morning as we get um, ourselves ready for the uh, proclamation of the Word of God. Open your Bibles, please. John chapter 14. But I want to thank you for the privilege of being here today to share something from the Word of God with you. I appreciate Pastor Tommy Lockwood inviting me. There was a, uh, I, he's a friend from many years gone by. We've never been particularly close, but always a great brother in Christ whom I appreciate greatly and, and just praise the Lord for providing him for you in these days. And uh, Pastor Rick Kleinert and Jill met us yesterday, and they took fabulous care of us. And I am so grateful for them and for their friendship and for their exceeding kindness to us as we sort of got established here and got into the hotel and went out for dinner last night. It was really good, but thank you. I want to start by revisiting two years ago when I came here on the same day. And shared with you a message from John chapter 14 in the early verses of that chapter. So, in your mind, go with me. Go with me on a journey to the city of Jerusalem. Now, when you get there in your mind and you envision the temple, and perhaps you're looking from the eastern side and Mount of Olives and down to the eastern gate, over to, the, uh, to your left and Up the hillside is Mount Zion. It's on the south side of Jerusalem. Somewhere on Mount Zion, there was an upper room. The Lord Jesus met with the disciples in that upper room. You remember it. The disciples' feet are already washed, (laughs) including Peter's. The Passover is over. Judas has been identified, and he's gone. The Lord's Supper has been instituted. There's just the 11 of them there with Christ. And the Lord Jesus delivers his valedictory address. Now, it starts there in that room, and I don't know how long it went on, but then it continues, we believe, as he went down that, that hillside and past the temple and across the Kidron Brook and over into the Garden of Gethsemane. But the Lord Jesus is saying some remarkably special things to these persons who are with him. But think about it. For Christ our Lord, eternity's assignment awaits him. He's on the precipice. It's the night before his crucifixion. It's the very night of his betrayal. It's the very night of his address. The next day he would die for your sins and mine and those of the world. Eternity's assignment awaited him. Gethsemane is there. Golgotha will be the next day. The grave is coming soon. Now, we know the rest of the story because, hallelujah, they could sing this morning about the resurrection and sing biblically correctly. Eternity's assignment awaited Jesus. But life's assignment awaited the disciples. Christ is leaving, at least bodily. He's going back to heaven. There's no kingdom now. He will not sit on the throne of David yet. They will face all those events which led to his hanging on a cross and bleeding and died, dying and being buried, and then the resurrection. But also ahead of them, the birth of the church. They had not even envisioned it. Evangelism, the spreading of the gospel, the good news of salvation to the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, missions around the world. And he gave them a challenge in that context. Look down at the very last verse of the chapter. You're in John 14. Here are the words of the last verse, but I do as the Father has commanded me just pausing there, that's what's incumbent on every single one of us to do exactly what God has commanded us to do, not to worry about all that's going on around us or even being inflicted on us, but to press on to complete All that God's commanded us to do for Jesus, it was to hang on a cross for the disciples. It was to go through everything that they would encounter in the next day or so, and leading to his resurrection and even thereafter as the church is established. Continuing in verse 31, but I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, get up, and let's go from here. Can you imagine? Christ's uttering those words, given what he's about to walk out and encounter, and they to follow, given what they are about to walk out and to encounter, but he doesn't leave them hopeless. He's going to promise now in the next few verses, I'm going to send with you on this journey a traveling companion. Not only that. I'm going to provide—it's the same person, by the way, their traveling companion, who is also their truth instructor, and he's going to teach you stuff that you didn't know before or you knew and forgot or just plain haven't obeyed yet. And I'm going to give you a gift, a personal gift. You like things that people very special to you, very close to you, give you? Do you kind of cherish them? Do you hang on to them? Whether major or insignificant, they're from someone you love. I've been going through boxes lately. (laughs) My wife has ordered me to please get through all these boxes. I've been hauling around for all these years. I have 56 years of stuff that somebody wrote me or somebody gave me, and in that, and I haven't even got it all out yet, and I'm really meant to take a picture and put it on the PowerPoint, there's this enormous stack of cards and letters written from you, many of you. You wrote things to me that blessed my soul then and have encouraged me as the years have gone by, and as I've been reading them recently, bring tears to my eyes. They're so cherished because it's a personal note from you. And I'm grateful, and I am honored, and God, Jesus, that is, is going to give us, and we're going to see it in this text, a personal gift. Christ's post-resurrection order to the disciples, that they are to go and make disciples in all the world, has never been rescinded. So as Jesus awaited eternity's assignment and the disciples awaited the opening of the church and the birth of the church and the going of the gospel around the world, that assignment has come down through the age to you and me and the instructions to go into all the world and make disciples has never been rescinded. And someday, somewhere on the face of planet Earth, The last soul will be reached in the church age, and the trumpet will sound, and we'll be caught into glory to ever forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, for us individuals and the body of Christ in this local spot, Salem Baptist Church, corporately, there will be roadblocks. They're awfully painful when you run into them head on. There will be setbacks. There will be delays. There will be defeats. There will be hardships. There will be times of suffering. There will be some tragedies along the way. (laughs) I remember the day Dr. Fulton was promoted to heaven. I remember going to his house and being there. And there will be failures. We all do it. We all stumble and fall and fail on their issues. Well, there's a thousand other kinds of negatives that will happen along the way, but the instructions of our Lord have not ceased. They're still incumbent on us. So, shall I challenge you this morning? Arise, let's go from this place. Let's roll, and let's do what God called us to planet Earth to do, but remember something. Verse 1, look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Remember, as we go through whatever, whether an individual or a corporate body, Jesus cares. He has not withdrawn. He says in in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, your inner self, your mind, your emotions. Let them not be upset. Let them not be troubled. Never let inner distress win, no matter what. By the way, look back now in chapter 13. You're in 14. Just look back a few verses in chapter 13 at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He understood their emotion. He understood their feelings. He had experienced troubling. Now his was not because of his failure or any variety of sin in his life, but because of what others were doing, and it troubled him. And one senses the tenderness of the emotions of the Lord Jesus as he said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And God the Holy Spirit put it in the Word of God for you and me on this anniversary morning. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not let inner distress win. Now, the second thing, realize you have not been, nor will you ever be abandoned. Verse 18 of chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I won't leave you lacking support. I won't leave you lacking someone who cares for you. I will not leave you without companionship, and you can count on it. And now the Lord Jesus says to us in the next few verses, I have asked the Father, and he will send you a traveling companion. Verses 15 through 17 of the chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you." I'm going to send you, I'm asking the Father to send you, I should say, a guide who is your constant enabler. It's what one commentary says about that that concept. The Greek word, he said, is helper, but it means someone who's called in. But it's not what it means in terms of the, the etymology of the word and the definition. It's the reason the person has called in that makes it distinctive. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out in very difficult circumstances but I'm going to send with you someone who will will guide you and someone who will enable you to do whatever it is that you need to do. Jesus, the God-man, is bodily going back to heaven, but God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is being sent to guide us through every valley and to enable us for every task." Sometimes I get these little strange feelings on the inside in my emotions, and then I recognize, hey, the Holy Spirit lives within me. And he prompts me when I'm headed in a sinful direction. And I'm glad he does. I'm glad I'm still sensitive to his promptings. And he draws me back. He enables me to confess my sin and to turn from whatever it was I was into or headed towards, and he puts me in a righteous uh, walk with the Lord, and he enables me to get through the dark places in my life that I personally cannot see my way through. This is a person who will be my companion, my traveling partner, and he will be my permanent companion. He isn't leaving. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, always, forever and ever, a period of unlimited duration. I may be leaving, Jesus said. I've already told you, I'm going back to heaven, but this guide will never leave you. I may not be listening to him, but he's always there. I may not be obeying what he's guiding me through, but he never ceases to guide me when I am willing to pay attention. I've discovered I'm rather slow of heart. (laughs) I'm rather slow of mind. You know, I was always slow of mind. You know, I I eventually get there, but it takes me a while to get there. Rick Kleiner Kleiner has this quick wit and quick mind, and he instantly comes to some uh, something to say or some conclusion, not me, I'm, I just kind of drag along. It's kind of typical. My sweet wife gets up in the morning earlier than I usually, but we both get it pretty early these days. And, and I get up and she's sitting at the table reading Scripture. And we have this reading plan, the, the, um, a, a reading plan that takes us through the whole Bible in a year and also through the book of Psalms twice and the New Testament twice. And she's sitting there reading her verses. I know there's another person in the room, but that's about all I know when I first get out of bed. I'm a little slow then, and it doesn't get a whole lot better as the days go by. So sometimes I'm a little bit slow to be obedient to what the Lord is trying to teach me. Or maybe I'm slow just to get it. But the Savior asked the Father not only to send us another comforter, a traveling companion, but a truth instructor. Verse 17 again, please. Even the spirit of truth and the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then skip down, please, to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. BUT THE HELPER, THE HOLY SPIRIT, WHOM THE FATHER WILL SEND IN MY NAME, HE WILL TEACH YOU ALL THINGS AND BRING YOU TO REMEMBRANCE, OR BRING TO YOUR REMEMBRANCE, ALL THAT I HAVE SAID TO YOU." AH, NOW THAT'S WHAT HE'S DOING. WHY, LORD? SO I CAN TEACH YOU SOME THINGS YOU DIDN'T GET YET OR THAT YOU FORGOT. I DON'T UNDERSTAND. But I understand. I'll guide you through it. In the meantime, there are some things I need to teach you that you haven't yet conquered. And your indwelling companion is the Spirit of Truth who will accomplish precisely that." This is what Marvin Vincent wrote in his Word Studies, an older um, publication on Word Studies in the New Testament. He said, the, the Spirit of Truth reveals truth intellectually. He teaches us things. He confers truth practically, that he, he teaches us how to apply truth in given situations in his li- in our lives. And He defends truth experientially. He enables truth to be defended because now we know it, now we got it, now we understand it, now we're being obedient to it, and now we have some hope of explaining it to others who might ask. He imparts to us truths we have not yet mastered. Spiritual information, my mind didn't yet grasp. I haven't wrapped my mind around that yet. Deeper into what God has already written in his book so that we can comprehend, making those things clear. And not only does he impart truth not yet mastered, but maybe in my case, this one more often, it reminds me of truths I have not yet obeyed or I am not currently obeying. Like the traffic signs that you've been looking at for years, and you pay no attention until there's a blue light flashing in your window. Three weeks ago today, Judy and I are whizzing down through the state of Virginia through one of these little towns, and I am zoned out someplace. I'm driving, but I'm zoned out somewhere. Who knows where? I I won't, not only do I not know, know what I was thinking about, I don't believe I was thinking about anything. I mean, I'm I'm just there. I'm steering the car. And I wheels right by a sign that the fee limit went down from 60 to 45. I didn't even see it. Now, I was only going 61, so. <laughs> but I saw the blue light that came on in front of me before I ever even got to him. Now, he let me off easy. <laughs> he just cited me for not obeying a traffic sign. But sometimes it's like that the Holy Spirit allows us to go through an experience in life that's a wake up call. And all of a sudden, you have hit that roadblock, and there is something that God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is trying to instruct you about, or maybe just remind you about that you've known for so many years, but are not currently being obedient. And like that blue light in the window, there's God, the Holy Spirit, and He grips your heart, and He grips your mind. And He said, are you ready to listen yet? The Spirit of truth during during the instructive moments of life reminds you and teaches you, and it's a wonderful thing. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. What about a traveling companion and a teacher? He gives us something else that's really wonderful. The Savior promised to provide you with an abundant, calming peace. Look at verse 27, would you please? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ah, here's the personal gift. This is Christ's peace. Do you see the first part of verse 27? My peace. It's an adjectival pronoun. It's in the first person, possessive. It's mine, Jesus said. But I'm giving it to you. Oh. It's in contrast to any other kind of peace. It's my peace from the heart of Jesus, a lexicon lexicon definition of peace that may be expressed as the ability to sit down in one's heart, inward calmness, inward calmness measured in abundance just for you from Jesus. And it exceeds anything the world has to offer," says the verse. Now, out there is a culture. uh, Out there is an environment in the world around us and the others in the world around us that has a lot to offer particularly in sinful kinds of things that dangles in front of you and me on a rather regular basis, but the culture never finds peace. They're going and they're going and they're going and they're searching and they're experiencing and they're groping and they're, they're grasping and they're moving on to the next thing or they're moving on to the next person. Their tranquility is based on favorable circumstances. Their tranquility, in a sense of it, is based on circumstances. Their tranquility, or any resemblance of it, is based on experiences. But I remind you that anything you can lose will never bring you ultimate peace. And they may have a lot to offer, but they don't have the kind of peace that Jesus offers. They cannot experience peace, and they never give peace. Philosophy doesn't give peace. Education, (laughs) I have a good bit of it, doesn't give peace. Religion doesn't provide it. By the way, I don't believe following Christ could be quite classified or should be as religion per se, but you understand that I'm talking about the religious notions of the world at large that sometimes leave Jesus out or do not explain him in fullness. Heaven knows that politics and government don't give you peace. They may keep peace in the world in in, in terms of the absence of war on our own shores, but peace of heart that Jesus promised in that verse doesn't come from any of them, just from him. You can't know it until he is your Savior. You can't know it until you've come to the end of yourself. Recognize your unsinful behavior. Recognize your own personal wrongdoing and turn from it to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and be born again, and then the Holy Spirit indwells you. And then and only then are you ready to experience the peace that Jesus gives. And his peace will allow you to sit down in your heart And that is a fabulous place to be. Inner distress will not win. Your life in contrast to what has been in the past, your life in contrast to what a lot of other Christians are experiencing, your life in contrast to what what the devil wants you to experience will be heart calmness, soul tranquility, mind serenity. You don't understand everything, but the sovereign God is yet in control, is he not? And he who is sovereign or it all will guide it to the conclusion that he chooses, and the ultimate conclusion that Jesus chooses is absolutely perfect. Lapses? <laughs> well, of course you have lapses. Overwhelming situations? <laughs> you may be in one right now. Times of doubt, yep, lots of them. But ultimately, God the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you to bring about you the peace that Jesus gives. He knew his disciples would need his peace. There was a valley straight ahead of them, dark, dark shadows. There is Gethsemane, there is Golgotha, there is the grave. And beyond it, there's denial mixed in there in the process and desertion mixed in there in the process and beyond it the birth of the church and all the opposition that they would experience in the process of being obedient to their Lord the further they went the more that seemed to happen to them as Paul ask the others Jesus knew they were going to need his peace and he knows you are going to need his peace The valley of dark shadows that lies ahead of you only God knows, but Jesus has gifted you with peace so that you can sit down and not be troubled in your spirit and you can uh, understand that, uh, that God is yet in control no matter what is happening. 1954, yeah, I remember the year I was nine years old. Margaret Clarkson wrote these words. Some of you will recognize them immediately. She wrote, so send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing. So send I you to toil for me alone. That same lady revised that song in 1963. Listen to the revision. So send I you, not now, to labor unrewarded, but my strength to know in weakness. Not now to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, but now to know my joy in the middle of grief, my perfect peace in pain. Not now to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and suffering, but now to prove my power, my grace, my promised presence, my peace. So send I you, not not a toil for me alone, but eternal fruit to gain. So when individually you encounter one of those places in life that is beyond you, a valley of darkness, you cannot see the end, and you don't understand it, and you cannot explain it, God's ready to produce in you eternal fruit to gain. So rise. Get up. Let's go from here. We can't go back. We can't change anything. I remember, (laughs) oh my, I remember too often things of my past, and I grieve, and I'll be shaking my head. And Judy will say, what are you shaking your head for? And I don't tell her. I'm remembering some dark moment in my past or some stupid decision in my past or something I said in my past or some action in my past, and the devil wants me to remember it, and he wants to keep reminding me about it over and over and over and over again, but I've got to remember, number one, it's in the past, I can't change it. Number two, it's under the blood, Jesus already took care of it. And number three, God wants me to arise and go forward, I can do better today and tomorrow than I did yesterday. He sends us forth in the midst of it all. Go forth in your life. Know, prove his strength in weakness. Prove his joy in grief. Prove his perfect peace in the middle of pain. Prove his power, his grace, his presence. Gain eternal fruit. And someday yonder in that wonderful place that John and Hannah sang to us about just before this sermon lay those rewards at Jesus' feet. Hallelujah. One day, you hear his voice. Enter in, my faithful friend. Job well done. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for drawing our attention to the Word of God this morning and the truths. We have a traveling companion. Thank you, Jesus. We have a truth instructor. Thank you, Lord. And we have peace that enables us to sit down in our hearts in the middle of it all. Praise the Lord indeed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.